You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me tonight, as he does for the Monday edition or Tuesday morning, if you listen to it on your commute, Tuesday afternoon, however you get it. Uh, is Will Miles. You can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his work at ReadAndReaction.com. Will, uh, Gators bounce back nicely against Colorado State and a big rivalry matchup coming up soon. Yeah, man, can't wait. Heading there on Friday and going to see if I can avoid the Tennessee jails while I'm there. So (laughs) it should be interesting. I've been invited to a couple of tailgates. Looking forward to seeing all the Gators who are out there. And certainly if you're around Knoxville next week, let me know and uh, I'll try to stop by. Yeah, so uh, you you may or may not be on the podcast next week if I have to go bail, if somebody has to go bail you out. But uh, rumors of your demise that you, for whatever reason, may not be on the podcast today. Well, you haven't fired me yet, Dave, so that's good. But, uh, you know, you try something new and everybody, everybody jumps down your throat. I know people have been sending you messages about whether we were trying to trying to snake some of your corner or something, and that wasn't the case at all. But, uh, you know, we, we uh, <laughs> I am still going to be on the podcast for as long as you'll have me, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was, uh, if people were wondering, the open huddle thing, you know, Will and Bill went out there. Uh, it was just something different, you know, just to to, to deal with uh, Bill's time and easier for him to to get along, um, you know, in, in the podcast world. So, you know, uh, see how that goes and, and everything. But uh, Will will still be here every week on Gators Breakdown. Yeah, man, I love it. It's fun. It's always fun to try something new. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And we'll see what happens with that. But uh, I'm, I'm here for Ga- with Gators Breakdown for the long haul. Alrighty, alrighty. Good news there. So yeah, everybody who sent messages and was wondering, nothing's happening, nothing's going on. <laughs> We're not trying to hide anything. It's just it's uh, just branching off. There we go. And hey, uh, this is nowhere near enough subterfuge for for Gator <laughs> Twitter, Dave. They they all have to think that you and I are about to have a fight. So you know, maybe we should stage one next time we're in Gainesville together. We can have like a we can have we can have people bet on it or something. Oh, there we go. There we go. Well, when people see the size different, they they won't bet on me. So <laughs> I don't know, man. You're feisty. You you can just run away, and I'll I'll be winded. So we're good. Oh, okay, so I, I wear you down like like the Russian in Rocky Four. <laughs> hopefully like florida against tennessee this weekend there we go that's even better 
Uh, and before we dive into looking back at Colorado State, and as Will mentioned this week versus Tennessee, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes, past, present, future there, and articles from the News for Jack sports team. That's newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. And, and a shout-out there uh, with the Jags doing good and all the uh, the Jaguars beat the Patriots this past weekend. So if Jag fans are out there, definitely head to newsforjacks.com. Uh, and find uh, a lot of Jaguars coverage, uh, especially off the big win versus New England. Uh, Catch Gators Breakdown, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube. Uh, however you want to get um, Gators Breakdown, get in all those platforms there. Please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Will, you released your article uh, like you do every Sunday uh, where you kind of look back at the, 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 the tape of the previous game, kind of breaking down – you know, you'll go through another watch through and and see things uh, a little closer that you can't see live action without having to to press rewind you know a thousand times and watch the same play and and miss the the, the game that's going on itself at the same time but uh you know a good bounce back win for the gators you know with everything that coming off of uh, the loss to kentucky uh all the kind of negative stigma that was out there heading into this game a uh, team that was coming in scoring some points coming off of a big win uh, versus Arkansas for their program, and it was an all-phases type of game for the Gators. Yeah, I mean, obviously the special teams is the thing that jumps out at you with the, I guess, drop snap on the punt, which was sort of caused by the rush, and then the block punt for the touchdown, and then Swain's kick return for a touchdown. I mean, whenever you get 14 points on special teams, plus a couple of different turnovers, you know, one caused by special teams and one because uh, Curtis Samuel just dropped the dropped the snap. But, you know, whenever you get gifted – or not gifted, but whenever you get 20 points that aren't offensive, uh, you know, it certainly helps the cause. And, and, you know, Florida won going away. And I'm not sure that's anything that most of us expected going in. I think maybe we thought they might drop an extra touchdown on the end to cover or something like that. But, you know, sort of thinking it would be somewhere between a 7- to 20-point win. And, you know, they put <laughs> they put 38 more on than Colorado mm-hmm. State did. And, and I think you got to be happy with that. Absolutely, and most of it will really was just bouncing back and 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 just kind of shine shine away from all the negativity and, and everything, you know. And especially after the slow start from Franks, and you know, we've seen the slow starts and how it affects him and how it affects the offense uh, in, in games previously. And that's I think another step where Felipe Franks has just shown improvement from a year ago is. I don't think, you know, going over six, then he necessarily probably would have come out of that stretch uh, and, you know, 28 more plays going eight for nine for 119 yards and two touchdowns. Not so sure he would have been able to do that last year mentally. I'm not sure if the if the coaching staff would have allowed him to do it. I'm not sure mentally if he was prepared to do something like that. So I think that's just, uh, look, we're not trying to say Felipe Franks is lighting the world on fire. He's He is a better quarterback than what he was a year ago. Very much so. I mean, I, I, and again, granted, we got to talk about the level of competition yep. Yep. in Colorado State and Charleston Southern are not fantastic levels of competition. But I would say that Colorado State is a significant, significant, significant step up compared to Charleston Southern. So anybody calling this one a cupcake, that's not really accurate. I mean, they are probably a lower like you would think of them more in like what we traditionally think of Vanderbilt in terms of talent level, maybe a little bit below that. Um, but they're not, you know, they're not North Texas. They're not Idaho. Who's coming up later in the year. They're, they're a relatively talented team, a blue chip quarterback, blue chip wide receiver from Tennessee, a very good tight end. Um, you know, so they have good players. And I think this is, 
you know, we talked last week about how the Kentucky game was probably the floor of what Florida was going to play, mm-hmm. that everything that could have gone wrong did. The defense played very, very poorly. The offense relied on the pass when we didn't really think that that was a good idea. Um, I still don't think that's a good idea. And they relied mm-hmm. on the running game a lot in this game um, with Frank sort of sprinkling in a pass here or there. Um, you know, he's still late on a lot of throws, not just the interception in the first quarter. There was the ball to Tony in the end zone that was a little bit late. Um, there were a couple other balls that that even the touchdown pass that he threw to, I think, Hammond, or was it Swain, that he caught in the, that he hit in the back of the end zone. Uh, Hammond um, yeah. You know, even that touchdown pass to Hammond was just a hair late. You know, it's one of those things where he's not throwing it as the guy's about to come open. He's it throwing it after the guy comes open. What's that? I think it was Swain. Yeah. All right. No, so <laughs> irrespective, he was late on that throw too. <laughs> and so, you know, the little flare on the first, uh, the little screen pass on the first, uh, first series to Scarlet was a little bit off. Um, but you know, the pass to, the pass to Seattle Lewis was, was really, really pretty in the end zone probably should have been caught. So, you know, there is a, if the pass to Lewis is caught and the pass to Tony's on time, everybody's talking about that first quarter a whole lot differently. Um, you know, it just, it felt like the offense wasn't moving the ball very much. I think a lot of it was because they were already in the red zone and mm-hmm. they were going for the jugular at that point, rather than necessarily just trying to get a first down. Once they got to the second quarter, I mean, they averaged 9.9 yards per play. Um, they relied on the running game, had 8.1 yards per, per rush, but then 13 yards per pass, but it was seven rush four pass. And so the balance was really good. Frank started hitting passes. Once he hit passes that opened up the run game, certainly Scarlett hit the touchdown. You mentioned yesterday, gamble, um, sort of throwing the key block on that run for Scarlett. And it really continued the rest of the game. They averaged over 10 yards of play from the second quarter through the fourth quarter. Um, the offense, so the offense felt jerky watching the game, you know, sort of just live. But when you went back and watched it, the offense from the second quarter on was really, really effective. And, you know, there were a couple of punts where there's some penalties that that prevented them from getting first downs. But really, I think a lot of the jerkiness came from the fact that you had the block punt. It came from the fact that you had the kick return and you're sitting there going, well, geez, where would we be offensively if we didn't have the special teams plays? But, you know, the offense wasn't on the field for six, yeah. seven minutes at a time because of it only ran 44 plays. And, you know, when you average almost eight yards a play, you're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, I mean, that was part of it. Only being on the field for forty-four plays, and uh, you know, numbers are gonna, especially you know, if you if you if you want to see some passes, if you want to see the stable of backs get a whole lot of carries, that's not gonna happen with a lot with, with forty-four carries. You know, everything that we bring about what we want to see in this offense, whether it be Tony get more touches, or whether it be Pierce get more touches, or just name one running back get getting touches, or if you want to see Frank throw the ball more, that's not gonna happen in forty-four plays. And you know, it, 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 in a way. What we got from the special teams, it, it, it's a good thing. And as, as I mentioned in, in the, the last podcast, there's going to come a time where in, in an important game, these special teams are going to come around. And and we got to see it one more time. Two out of three games, the special teams have been pretty special for the Gators. Uh, but with that, it's going to come less plays on offense. So I think that that definitely needs to be uh, put in mind uh, out there that there just wasn't a lot of plays ran. And not necessarily because the offense was stagnant or, or couldn't get things going. It was more because of the special teams. And, Will, you, you talked about the second quarter and, and, and from there on, uh, have the offense started playing a whole lot better, and 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 Frank starts playing a whole lot better around there too. And I, and I tweeted this out earlier today. It is the tale of, of Frank starting slow, and through three games, uh, in the first quarter, he's eight of twenty-three, only thirty-four point eight percent, thirty-four point eight percent 
of his passes completed there for 166 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Go to the second quarter, 19 of 23, 82.6%, 210 yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions in the second quarter. He he turns it he turns it on in the second quarter. I think it's a couple things. I think it's Dan Mullen, uh, you know, calling plays, maybe getting Franks more comfortable after seeing what the defense comes out here. Uh, and they even mentioned it in the, in the press conference of the defense kind of showing things maybe they hadn't seen before. Settle down, start playing better, uh, and, and you know, and see when uh, seeing what the opposing defenses are showing, and maybe not trying to hit the big play when it's not there. That's another where another place where I see I see progress with Franks. Maybe that's, he comes out. In the early in these games, trying to hit the big play, but he settles down, and in stats show in the second quarter, that's where Franks is at his best. Yeah, well, he's been a lot more consistent in the second quarter. That's true. Again, I think it's it's skewed by that Charleston Southern game. Yeah, so we do need to keep we do need to keep that in mind. He was Small much better. Than, he was much better in the second quarter. I, I think I think a lot of it just comes down to what the Florida offense is. So mm-hmm. against against Colorado State on plays that weren't explosive, so plays that weren't. 20 plus yards. They had 40 of them and they averaged 4.4 yards per play. Um, last week against Kentucky, I think they were at 4.6. The week before against Charleston Southern, they were 4.7. Really, the only difference in the offense in the three games has been that they've hit a bunch of explosive plays in the games against Charleston Southern and against Colorado State, and they only hit two explosive plays against Kentucky. And that's really the difference. So, you know, the Gator offense averaged 7.8 yards per play this week, and they averaged 5.2, I think, last week. Um, and that's just, that's purely a function of those explosive plays. That's when the offense scores. So, you know, the 28-yard pass to Hammond that you mentioned, then the 30-yard run for Scarlett, you get a touchdown. The block punt by Cleveland, you get a touchdown. Swain, the 85-yard return, you get a touchdown. They had a 38-yard pass to Jefferson for a touchdown, then the 68-yard run for Pierce. I mean, those big plays turn into points consistently, no matter who you look at. Um, and, and so that, I think, is a place where you don't you want to be able to drive down the field, and, you know, pick up four yards at a, at a time and get first downs and convert them. And elite teams have to do that, right? Like when you get into it, when you get into a, um, when you get into a dog fight, you got to be able to do that in a close game. But I'm not sure that Florida is what we would consider an elite team, certainly not an elite offense at this point. And so they're going to need some of those explosive plays. You know, they need to pop a punt return or they need to pop a run or, or whatever the case might be. And, and, in the two games they've won, they've been able to do it. And in the one game that they that they didn't win, they weren't able to do it consistently. And I think I think the same thing is going to hold true for Tennessee. When we look forward to that game, it's really going to be a, a, a game of the explosive plays. I think their offense generally is going to get about four and a half yards of play. And the question is going to be, can they add six or seven explosive plays? Or they just add a couple and, and that'll sort of determine the offensive success. Another place where uh, progress has, has shown – uh, so far, Will, is through three games, Franks has nine touchdown passes, matching his total from last season already, just in three games. Look, he played in every game last season, whether he started, got yanked, pulled, got put back in after somebody else got injured. You know, the schedule early season last year was was tougher with the Michigan game and then the cancel game and playing Tennessee, uh, you know, the second game of the season. But through three games and only three games, uh, yes, competition's not the best, but has already matched his total in touchdowns from last season. If you'd have told me that Franks had nine touchdowns through three games, I, I would have been elated. I think I had him pegged for like 15 or 16 for the entire season. Now, certainly the competition's about to ramp up, so maybe he still ends up at 15 or 16 for the season. But, I mean, you know, I 
the expectation that Franks was going to come out and be chucking the ball around like Baker Mayfield, I, I think is misplaced. I, I think the expectation that he's going to come out and throw for 300 yards on a regular basis is also probably not something we should expect. You also, you know, we've talked extensively about how completion percentage tracks from high school to college and that his completion percentage is high, in high school is almost exactly what his completion percentage is in college is. You can't expect that he's going to be, you know, completing 65% of his passes. The places where he's made significant progress this year are he's up almost two yards per attempt when he's throwing the ball, which is significant. He's gone from significantly below average to right at the NCAA average of about 7.4 yards per attempt. And then he's also averaging four and a half yards per rush, which is more than a yard above the typical average for quarterbacks. So he's not taking bad sacks. He's not running out of bounds, um, you know, four yards behind the line of scrimmage. He's not putting his team in second and 14. He's, you know, even some of the throws that he's made where maybe he's airmailed a receiver or where he's missed something that was open where, where, you know, he was under pressure. He's gotten rid of the ball. Mm-hmm. I don't remember him taking a bad sack where I was just like, you know, you have to throw that away. I don't really remember that. I do recall him running out of a couple of sacks a few times and or running away from pressure a few times and gaining two or three yards to where they were in second and seven situations and could still run the ball, you know, or run or throw the ball. So, you know, you look at his QB ranks, 148.8, his yards above replacement, 0.32. I think that's pretty accurate. He's been an above average quarterback, but he's also been very inconsistent, right? He was excellent Mm -hmm. against Charleston Southern. He was Eh, below average against against Kentucky, particularly in the second half. Though, again, in the first half of that game, he played pretty well. The second half sort of fell apart as they put more and more responsibility on him. And then against Colorado State, excluding the first quarter, he was very, very good. I think he was eight of nine in the second through fourth quarter, mm-hmm. um, you know, about nine yards a throw. So, um, yeah, I've got it here. So he had uh, eight of nine for 119 yards and two touchdowns from the second of the fourth quarter. He outplayed Curtis Samuels. And, you know, that was really something that I think if you if you said what's Colorado State's path to victory, it was that Felipe Franks lays an egg and Curtis Samuels plays really well. And we kind of got the opposite. Curtis Samuels didn't play very well. And Franks played really well second quarter through fourth quarter. And, you know, he is what he is. He's he's probably going to be a game manager this year. He's not going to be somebody who goes out and wins the game. But maybe by the time you get to Georgia or Florida State or or Missouri, you know, he's at a place where he's slightly above average and he can go out and win you a game in the right circumstance if the defense dares you to run the ball. Yep, and, and the next step for progress for Franks will, and it will come up this week, he's got to play better on the road. And, you know, uh, this that that's where the, the biggest worry for me right now uh, comes with this team, with, with the offensive line, but also, you know, for Felipe Franks going on the road. Uh, last year, opened up the season uh, against Michigan. It was a neutral site, but, you know, still away from the swamp. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong. He, he didn't have a whole great season last year anyway, but you know, did play worse uh, in games away from the swamp than he did uh, at the swamp, and you know, that's kind of to be expected there. But you know, you also played Michigan and, and Georgia away from the swamp, two really good defenses there. So and that goes into it as well. But you know, his course, uh, his first true road test last year at, at Kentucky ends up getting pulled uh, in, in that game. So this is his first true road test this year as Florida travels to Tennessee. And I think, you know, first three games at home got settled down uh, and after some slow starts, you know, if he gets to a, off to a slow start here uh, at Tennessee, and of course this could also be according to what Tennessee's doing on offense, you know, maybe you're not down or whatever if Felipe France gets off to another slow start. But, you know, of course we'd like to see the run game get going. You know, we've heard it for years and years. If you watch football enough, the, the best way to, to shut a, a – 
home crowd up is to sit there and, and try and run the ball. I think Florida will try that, but you know I've been surprised with how much they've put the ball in Frank's hands uh, so far this year. So I'd be interested to see how Dan Mullen uh, pulls that, pull, you know, whatever he pulls out of his hat. You know, this week going uh, on the road to Tennessee is just you know. With, are they as worried about Felipe Franks on the road as you know? What going back to what we saw last year? How much do they trust trust him? And a lot of it will be determined in practice this week uh, when they'll funnel they're funneling noise and funneling in Rocky Top and see how he reacts to that. But it's a whole lot different when you got uh, over a hundred thousand live, you know, crazy fans going at it, and we'll have to see how Felipe Franks responds. Yeah, I mean, so. <laughs> Most quarterbacks are worse on the road, right? Yeah. And some of that is just because, um, you know, it, it's harder to get the play calls in. It's harder to – your offensive line typically doesn't play as well. You typically don't run the ball quite as well because you don't get off the ball with as much sort of oomph. Um, you know, but it's it's hard to gauge what Franks will do on the road because last year he wasn't good anywhere. Yeah. And, and so the question is – so he played – he played in mop-up duty against Missouri and played pretty well. And then he came in and mop-up duty against Vanderbilt and played pretty well. If you look at yards above replacement, those were the only games last year where he was above zero. So he was zero exactly against Michigan. And then, you know, home game against Tennessee was below average. Kentucky at Kentucky, he was below average. Um, at home against LSU, he was significantly below average. At home against AM, he was below average. So, you know, the only game on there that's a real outlier is Georgia, but there were a lot of quarterbacks who were bad against Georgia last year, um, particularly guys who were young and, and, and sort of <laughs> struggling in the way Franks was. I mean, he was even significantly above average against Alabama, Birmingham. So um, there's obviously quite a bit of room for improvement from last year. I think we're seeing that. He's starting, you know, we're seeing progress. The question always is, you know, he had a good game against, he had a good opening game. He had a bad game against Kentucky. He had a decent game against, against Colorado state. And, and the question is, is that going to be the roller coaster that we ride all year where you have a good year or a good game and a bad game, or is he slowly building? And did he learn stuff from the Kentucky game? That's going to help him now in the Tennessee game and help him in the Mississippi state game going forward as, as he goes on the road. You know, one of the things that I think has been, has been interesting is that Mullen has talked quite a bit about Frank's dealing with the criticism and dealing with sort of the Florida fans coming after him, which the fact that he's talking about it makes me think that it does impact Frank's in some capacity that he, that he listens to it, um, which might mean that going on the road is actually a good thing for him. That's sort of cathartic. You know, you expect to get booed by the road fans. <laughs> you don't expect to get booed by the home fans. And so maybe there's, there's something there to help, but I, I think we need to anticipate that Florida is going to have to rely on something other than its quarterback to win the game for him. I mean, Frank's Frank's I think can lose the game. But I, I think it's probably a fool's errand if you if you send him out there and say, hey, you're going to have to win the game. Likewise, though, you figure Tennessee figures the same thing and starts bringing guys up to stop the run and says, hey, we're going to make Franks beat us. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what the strategy is for Tennessee. Do they want to put it on the back of Franks or do they want to keep everything in front of them? And do they have the personnel to execute what they want on on defense against Florida's offense? And quite honestly, it's sort of vice versa the other way as well. Right, yeah, so similar style for for both teams when they get going uh, on, on Saturday and uh, Mullen's press conference on on Monday. There's one position grouping will where he's uh, he says he's not jumping up and down yet, and and that's about the offensive line. <laughs> so uh, he goes away, and you know while they look better uh, last week, you know this was a Colorado State defense that ranked in the hundreds, and and still the offensive line left some plays on the field, but it, it was a better overall performance, but. Uh, you know, just some key blocks being missed, where you know even even longer runs could have, have happened. There was some plays there to be made, 
Um, so, you know, still just a, a grouping of players that uh, is still just for whatever reason, and it's they're only three games in, uh, but there's still, you know, some much like the quarterback as well, you know, just some easy plays not being made. Sure. I mean, I, I think there were some adjustments made. I mean, obviously, Heggie got some time and, and um, you know, I, I think things picked up when he came in at right guard. Um, I, I think in some capacity, there's um, there's a the same thing with Franks, right? You look at Franks and say, well, why isn't he developing quicker? Why isn't he playing at an above average or elite level? I think it's the same thing with the offensive line. We keep asking ourselves, well, why aren't they, why aren't they a hundred percent better than they were last year? And the reality is, is that there are limitations for some of these guys. And those limitations are talent based, they're um, technique based, and there's things that they're sort of learning on the fly. It's hard to unlearn bad habits, right? I mean, you know, go <laughs> try to take somebody who's, who's swung a bat one way their whole life and try to teach them a new way to do it you know it's a very difficult thing to do so things like footwork and hand placement and all those sorts of things you know have a can be drilling them all day long but what happens when the bullets fly same thing with the quarterback right i mean you can you can teach him everything you want to know about the about the playbook and he can know what his first second and third read is but if he locks onto that first read you know and just for whatever reason can't make the progression and that's sort of where he's at you know it takes a while to to break those habits so you know we've said this for the last couple of weeks is that the offensive line is what it is it's a work in progress and that the things you want to see are that the stupid things get eliminated so the yeah. personal foul penalties the false starts that's one area where i think they're going to have to they're going to have to focus this week is they can't have red zone false starts and cost themselves points like they did this past week same thing with franks he can't be john with the opposition and get a personal foul penalty and cost him an ability you know an opportunity to get points um you know those sorts of things obviously emotions will be going high because these two teams i'm sure are going to start yapping if they haven't already started yapping and you know with that comes personal foul penalties with that comes um undisciplined play and that is one area where you know i think the special teams played a lot better this week i think the defense in particular played much much better this week um and certainly the offense played better than it did against kentucky there were more penalties and the, they were sort of disciplined penalties at least two or three of them and hopefully those will get cleaned up for the tennessee game yeah and going to the offensive line you say and getting rid of bad habits but also we got to look you know this is their what third offensive line coach in three years <laughs> you go back with, with Summers and then Brad Davis last year, and now your third different offensive coach in a completely brand new system uh, taking over for there. So, yeah, it is going to take some time. You know, they were recruited for another system, two, two different offensive line coaches uh, in the last two years uh, with that system. It's going to take some time for those guys to, to, to come around in a completely different offense. Yeah, well, and you don't have to look too far <laughs> to see to see a program that's struggling with a similar thing, right? I mean, Taggart is bringing in a completely different offense up at up in Tallahassee, and they've certainly had some injuries, but you know, there's no excuse for their offensive line to look as bad as it does either. And and the offensive line up at Florida State is really struggling, and that's one of the reasons why they're playing the way they are. And so I, I think when you look at that, you go, okay, it's it's a reasonable thing to to see struggles in certain areas. I think we've seen progress each of the three weeks. I think the Kentucky game was an indication that the progress wasn't going quick enough, at least not for SEC play. And so that's really what we'll see this week is, is it's Florida's foray back into the SEC. The question is, is Tennessee better than Kentucky and, and where's Tennessee at and all that sort of stuff. But I think at the end of the day, 
Um, there's been progress. There have certainly been less false starts. There seem to have been less misassignments. There are still misassignments, but less mental mistakes, I guess, would be the would be the thing that I I think I saw against Colorado State far fewer mental mistakes than I did against Kentucky, and that's really all you can ask is that they fixed the mental mistakes. They're going to make physical mistakes sometimes. You know, you'll miss a block. You'll you'll you know take a step in the wrong direction. Your technique won't be solid. Whatever the case might be, but you know, if you just don't pick up the blitz because you didn't read it right or something like that, well, that becomes an issue. And I will say that on the play to Tony in that first quarter, um, you know, Franks had thrown a little bit earlier. That's a touchdown. And the offensive line and Jordan Scarlett at running back did an unbelievable job picking up that blitz. And so, you know, if the, if, if the opposition brings a blitz and the offensive line can give Franks the time, Florida's eventually going to hit some of those. And again, like I said, those big plays come from, you know, when when teams decide to to come all out and come after your quarterback. And, you know, Two weeks ago against Kentucky, when they decided to come after Franks, he didn't have time. And I think against Colorado State, he was given some time. You know, the the touchdown pass to Van Jefferson was one on one coverage. Um, you know, that pass to Tony, he was sort of there was a little bit of a zone there, but you know, it was essentially a one on one thing where he had to beat him. Um, same thing with Hammond coming behind the zone. Um, you know, they they were trying to do stuff to put pressure on him, and and it allowed Franks to pick him apart. And that's really going to be the key. I don't know that they're going to have to be consistently great against mm-hmm. Tennessee. I think what they're going to have to do is there will be a few key plays where if they can pick up the blitz, it'll allow Franks to take a shot, and he's going to have to hit it. All right there. And uh, one player a lot of fans are wanting to see more of, especially after a 68-yard uh, touchdown run, Will, is Damian Pierce. Uh, and we're probably going to see a lot more of him now because Mullen did uh, make it official where Malik Davis uh, come out with the injury. I know yesterday I said uh, x-rays were negative, and I know a lot of people on Twitter uh, or Gator Media were putting out there too. So I thought this was uh, a negative. So the, it was going around that Malik Davis's injury, uh, the x-rays were negative, but it does turn out he has a broken foot there. So we'll probably see Damian Pierce more, and especially after, as I mentioned, that 68-yard run. Uh, Mullen mentioned, too, in the, in the presser that Pierce has has to do the little things to continue to get on the field, pass block, catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, he showed up with a mentality on special teams, and, and it's garnering more play, playing time at running back. We heard that in the first game of the season uh, when he made a big hit on special teams, and they wanted to game, they kind of wanted to reward him with some more carries there. But now they're going to have to reward him because of some of the runs he's making, Will. And that 68-yard run, I'm telling you, he was shot out of a cannon, made one move uh kind of to his left to get out of the way of the of the of his fellow offensive lineman he saw the hole exploded and he was gone yeah well i don't know that he's been brought down for a loss yet and i think there have been a couple of opportunities for him to be brought down for a loss and and that's significant that you know when you give him the ball worst case scenario you're second sitting second and eight and best case scenario you're you're going to congratulate him (laughs) in the end zone yeah he's earning some playing time with the way he's playing and certainly with the with the effort that he's putting forth when he's doing that there when he's doing that on special teams all those sorts of things but like i said Scarlett has earned my respect because a couple of years ago, he really struggled in pass protection and he's been much, much, much better. I haven't seen him miss one yet when I've been watching. Now that doesn't mean he hasn't, but I haven't seen him miss his assignment yet when a linebacker was coming on a blitz and it was his guy. Well, at least, at least we haven't noticed it. If you didn't notice it, you remember. So there we go. It, it, it <laughs> well, is better. It is well, better. And I'm specifically noticing when he picks it up, though it's becoming less obvious. I mean, it's sort of like, right. oh, he's got that. Now let's watch the offensive line. And that I think is where Pierce is going to have to going to have to make an impact. I mean, if you remember the Tennessee game a couple of years ago in Knoxville, 
Um, Florida mm. couldn't convert a bunch of third and ones and even some second and ones. And the reason was is that Tennessee had zero fear that Florida was going to throw the ball because they knew they were going to be able to get to the quarterback. And in fact, they did pretty much the entire game, at least in the second half, they were able to get to the quarterback for their, for their entire comeback. And a lot of that was tied to the fact that the running backs did not, were not real effective in pass protection. So when they were going to throw the ball, they had Cronkite in the game. And when they were going to run the ball, they had Scarlet in the game. And that predictability causes problems. So I'm not sure we've seen enough of Pierce to where they would that would necessarily be a tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly he's going to have to be able to do that to get on the field for any substantial amount of time. But there's that third running back spot is open. And if they, and and he certainly has proven enough that I expect him to get a few carries and and we'll see how he does. Well, this thought was brought up um, not too long before uh, I pressed the record button here. Um, thoughts of sandbagging the playbook uh, out there. Has Mullen showed everything? Is he saving something for Tennessee? And I can't say that because if you're saving something, why didn't you use it versus Kentucky? <laughs> you know, you're, you already have a loss in, in the loss column there. So if you're saving something, it's not very smart to be saving something uh, there. Now, some things that can happen. Yes, there may be some uh, – I mean, yes, I think we'll see some newness, but not necessarily because it's being saved. It's because they're, they're getting more used to the offense. They're installing more and more every week. Uh, the, the players are getting used to the offense. I think you may see Tony some more, you know, as he gets – you know, he, he – uh, against Kentucky, yeah, that's where you started seeing him. It was his first game back. How much do they trust him? Uh, he's shown he's already shown some flashes this year. Uh, we know we, we we want the ball in his hands some more. So maybe Florida has more offensive plays this week to get the ball in his hands uh, there. But that's the only kind of place I can see uh, there. You know, maybe some of the a couple plays uh, as uh, Silk was in the uh, conversation on there. So you know, maybe we see some more sweeps, like he says, uh, types of plays that we know are in Mullen's playbook, but we necessarily haven't seen yet. But as far as sandbagging, I don't think it's happening. Well, I mean, I would hope not, because when you when you when you lose, you hope you throw everything everything yeah. there. I I think you know. So David Wonderlick over at Gator Country did a really good job of breaking down um, some of the some of the personnel. That, that Florida was running. It was certainly something that I noticed during the Kentucky game too, that basically it was one back and one tight end pretty much extensively throughout the entire game and three wide receiver sets. And even when they were trying to come back at the end, they weren't running any four or five wide sets. And, and a lot of that was just likely because, um, you know, that they hadn't gotten to that part of the playbook yet. Now against Colorado state, they did have a couple of times where I noticed where they had two running backs mm-hmm. in the backfield. So they had both, I think Malik Davis and Jordan Scarlett in the backfield at the same time. We'll see whether they maintain that package with Davis out, but it was interesting to see that they had those guys in the game. They were running two back sets, which again is an indication that they're starting to put some wrinkles on sort of the base offense that they were trying to execute. So, um, you know, I think those are the things you want to look for is, okay, the formation basically looks the same every time they come out there, or do they have a few wrinkles in the formation? I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious to anybody who watches the game that Tony needs to get more touches. The question is, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Do you do it out of the wildcat? Do you do it on screen passes? Third I mean, downs. Well, I mean, you know, he, he does he does struggle when when you throw the ball to him downfield. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there there were there was a play a couple of weeks ago where he dropped one, um, you know, and he, and he's just not a pure wide receiver yet. And so, what do you do with him in the, in those situations? I, I agree with you. I mean, I think you line him up back there, you know, sort of the counter play 
that Percy Harvard used to run yep. all the time. I am curious as to whether they'll run that. Um, I, again, I think sandbagging is the wrong word. I think it's more, yeah. it's a new offense and you add something to your offense every week. And when you're teaching guy, when you're teaching guys, the offense, you know, you're going to see new formations. You're going to see wrinkles off of formations. Um, they run, they run a little out route to the wide receiver when the corner's off of him a lot. And I do think that we'll probably see in this game a, a stop and go. Um, they ran it to Massey against uh, against Charleston Southern. I think we'll probably see it again in this game. I'm hoping they'll do it with Grimes because Grimes is the guy who's got enough height that even if Franks isn't perfectly accurate, he probably wins that battle. So, um, yeah, I think there will be some wrinkles. I think they're going to need them. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that with the offensive line and the struggles they've had getting a push at home, that they're going to be able to get a huge push on the road where you don't have the advantage of being able to hear the snap count. Um, you know, but we'll see. I mean, Tennessee obviously has struggled in a lot of different places as well. And, and so, you know, it, again, I think it's a consistency thing. I mean, we talked, we've talked a lot about the offense tonight. We haven't really talked much about the defense and I thought uh, the defense I was, I was going there next. And I thought the defense was outstanding. So we, we can talk about that now, but uh, I mean, you know, talk about Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. <laughs> so the key stat in your article for the defense, I really wanted to bring up uh, was, you know, coming into the game, Colorado state was averaging 27 points per game, six point yards per play, 8.1 yards uh, per pass attempt against FBS opponents. Uh, and, you know, Florida came in uh, fresh off of allowing eight yards uh, per play on defense against Kentucky. So, uh, as you said, the defense couldn't get any pressure on Kentucky, but now they had five sacks, nine tackles for loss, six quarterback hurries, uh, and the, the Gators only gave up 10 points and 3.7 yards per play. So there we saw what we needed to see after a week of mistakes, after a week of being out of position, after not being disciplined, they addressed those problems uh, you know, throughout the week, and and Florida stopped the big play. Yeah, well, Malik Grady mentioned I haven't had a chance to actually look at the tape or to to see this wrinkle, but he mentioned today on Twitter to us privately that it looked like that the, the staff had dropped Chauncey Gardner Gardner Johnson back and had him play more center field, which would make sense considering that the safeties got burned pretty regularly <laughs> against Kentucky. Um, but the the thing that was just glaring was that was that the tight end or I'm sorry that the linebackers just played so much better. I mean, the opening drive, Kylan Johnson went out and sniffed out a, a screen to the running back and knocked it out of the running back's hands. Basically the minute it hit him. I mean, it, it, if the running back had caught it, it would have been a fumble. So, so, I mean, it was a fantastic play and it was a read. So he, he was out in that direction, but he started the break before the quarterback turned to deliver the ball. He noticed it from whatever film study they'd been doing and got out there to the ball rather than the running back catching it and then having to having to make an open field tackle, which obviously has not been the strength of the, of the linebackers. Um, and then there was a the play right after it was a screen pass to the to the running back. And the corner, C.J. Henderson, forced the guy back inside. And last week, the corners were allowing Kentucky's guys to get to the outside instead of funneling them back in. So instead of it being a five-yard run or a five-yard pass where you get five guys gang tackling, the guy gets to the sideline and gets 15. And that didn't happen the other day and then Voshan Joseph played great I mean he, he was all over the place he was not jumping out of his gap um, he he shut down Cameron what was it Cameron Butler um, the tight end for for Colorado State who just torched Arkansas the week before and looked like a beast he was the guy I was the most scared of and he didn't even show up on the stat sheet no catches no yards and and just got completely shut down by Florida's by Florida's defense and I mean the guy has speed that's pretty close to a uh, pretty close to a wide receiver and and can still stay in and block. So he, 
you know, Colorado State is able to force you to guard him with a linebacker just because he can block. And and he was just a complete non-factor in the game. So, um, you know, kudos to Grantham. I think, um, you know, it's frustrating to watch sometimes because yeah. they give up those small, they give up the, the way they set up the defense the other day, they were giving up five yard passes on third and four mm-hmm. and giving up the first down to make sure they didn't give up any big plays. Yep. But again, you know, if an offense doesn't gain much yardage, you know, most offenses are going to go somewhere between four and five yards per play, which is going to put you somewhere in the 20 to 25 point per game range. Um, for their non-explosive plays, though, Colorado State averaged 2.4 yards per play. So they just, you know, 90% of the time they, they were behind the chains every time they were doing it. Now, part of that was that that Zuniga was getting into the backfield quite a mm-hmm. bit. Um, but also just part of it was that the defense played much, much better, both on the front end and the back end. And you give them credit and you say, hey, Colorado State's not a complete pushover, though they haven't run the ball real well this year so far. But, you know, it amps up the next couple of weeks, and, and we'll see what the defense can do. Again, I think it's sort of the Kentucky game was the floor for what the defense was going to be. I yeah. don't think they're that bad. I don't think they're probably as good as they showed against Colorado State. I think they'll probably give up more explosive plays over the next couple of weeks, particularly on the road. Same general reason. But they only gave up four to an offense that was averaging quite a few more. And they only gave up the one really big play to Trey McBride, the tight end, that 48-yard pass for a touchdown. Everything else was sort of in that 20 to 25-yard range for the other three that they gave up. And and so, you know, I for a defense that struggled as much as it did against Kentucky, I was very, very impressed by the adjustments that were made by the players. So the coaches clearly emphasized the discipline. They clearly emphasized do your job, sort of, you know, that you can't try to do everything, that you just have to do what you're supposed to do. But the players went out and executed, and and, and they executed really, really well. Yeah, and probably still the biggest issue was was tackling at times uh, there too, uh, as well with Vashawn Joseph and, and Brad Stewart. But uh, for all in all, I still thought a uh, much better performance and perhaps the biggest news coming out of uh, Mullen's press conference. It does look like a return for David Reese versus Tennessee. I know we heard it last week, but I still was kind of questionable on it uh, there. And uh, I think for, from everything I'm hearing, he'll play uh, versus Tennessee. You know, Mullen mentioned the defensive front needs to be tougher uh, as we've seen these defensive line struggle versus the run. And that makes uh, you know Reese uh, at that second level even more important going through the meat of this SEC schedule. And especially with a with a run first team like Tennessee, I think is going to bring here. They're not going to th- be throwing the ball around the the field either. I don't think so. So you know, now it'll be uh, Reese's first time playing uh, in, in this new defense, and hopefully he doesn't have rust, and hopefully he doesn't have to adjust too much uh, in game. But you know, he is a for sure tackler. Uh, can help guys get lined up in the right places. Play disciplined football. It'll be up to the individual player after that though to to to, to uh, it's for us to see what happens there. But with him on the field um, and the step that they took last year in just improving in one week, things that, uh, you know, uh, the, the discipline issues and, and getting out of position, I think, you know, getting Reese back, fixing those issues in one week, um, then maybe this defense just takes another step forward. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Again, I think it's it's a it's an increase in competition, and obviously, going on the road makes it more difficult. I think Reese coming back is a big deal for the defense, if more than anything, because it allows the rotation at the other linebacker position to be uh, much more robust. And so, you figure you won't get quite as tired in the second half, maybe as you would have as you would have before. And if somebody's jumping out of position, you will be able to you'll be able to pull them out. So, yeah. you know, with Reese in there now, Voshan Joseph and Rayshad Jackson and 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 Miller and all those guys 
guys are going to be competing for reps and you figure that Reese is going to get the lion's share at middle linebacker. And so the guy playing outside linebacker, they're all going to have to compete. And, and that's a good thing. I think it also means that you might, depending upon what you're trying to do, if you're having trouble stopping the run, you can bring in a third linebacker to try and sort of, um, you know, to, to try and handle that. So, um, you know, instead of necessarily, always having moon out at the buck or, or CC Jefferson out there, you know, bring in a little bit more girth to stop the run. It gives you that freedom too, if you really want to, because really they've sort of been, they've had their three down linemen and then they've had sort of the two rush linebackers. Mm-hmm. And and then they've had Joseph and Jackson as their sort of, I guess, run stopping linebackers. And with Reese sliding in there, I think it gives you more options. And I think that's something that Grantham is going to, is going to try to use against Tennessee um, depending upon what the volunteers try to do. Will, will this be your first trip to Rocky top? Oh man, it is. So, uh, oh, there we go. So my, my brother-in-law actually lives there and then my brother's driving down there with me. So, uh, so it's gonna be a family affair this weekend, but, uh, but looking forward to it and, uh, and certainly, uh, repping the colors and we'll, we'll see whether I get my tires flashed. <laughs> uh, so we've, uh, we have mentioned, uh, a little bit kind of going through and, and kind of reviewing, it was a little bit of Tennessee talking there too, but uh, Will, just first of all, you know, we mentioned Felipe Frank's making his first start on the road. You just mentioned David Reese coming in, uh, and we'll see how he adjusts. And this will be his first game back against Tennessee. But what are some other things you're you're looking for here? Um, and I'll, I'll start it off. For one thing, is how much can they make Garantano pass? Um, he's only uh, one of four SEC. Uh, of one of four quarterbacks in the SEC without an interception, so he's taking care of the ball, and he's only behind Georgia's Jake Fromm uh, with with uh, with a percentage of uh, passes completed. Uh, Fromm ridiculous eighty point four right now of his passes completed, but Garantano behind him with seventy two point two, not pushing the ball down the field, but he is taking care of the ball, getting the ball out of his hands, and completing some passes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be the same thing we saw last year as, as far as Florida – or the thing I'll be looking for in terms of Florida versus versus the Tennessee offense is going to be the linebackers. Are the, are the linebackers able to cover the running backs coming out of the backfield? I mean, Florida got absolutely torched last year by John Kelly. Um, you know, I, I think that's an area where people are going to try to expose Florida until Florida proves that they can they can handle it. And so, you know, we'll see. Like you said, um, you know, Tennessee right now is averaging 7.7 yards per pass attempt. Um, you know, that's pretty good. It's 57th in the in the nation for the for the two games against FBS opponents. So, not counting their game against East Tennessee State. Um, you know, Florida is 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 54th in terms of allowing them. So, 6.9. So, you figure. They're going to be somewhere in that six to seven range, and and so then it starts to fall on. Well, what do we think Tennessee can do through the ground? And and you know they've been okay. They haven't been fantastic, but you know five point four yards per carry, not terrible. Um, and and Florida's been allowing four point five. So you know Florida against Kentucky was just not adequate against the ground game, and Tennessee has a pretty good ground game. So I think that you know targeting the linebackers with the running backs out of the backfield. And then how does, does Florida stay in its gaps and avoid the big plays in the run game are going to, I think going to be the two things from the, uh, from the defensive side of the ball I'll be looking for. Yeah. I'll have Mike Laval on uh, from last word on college football. Uh, he'll be he previewed Florida, Tennessee with us uh, the last couple of years. And he'll be here uh, on games breakdown again. Uh, but going back to the uh, first game of the season. Well, I got the echo again. <laughs> Uh, uh, let's see. The Vols were able to to hang around. Go back to the first game. Yeah, against West Virginia. So they hung around a little bit. Um, offense couldn't really get it going. Uh, 
a lot of dink and dunks, not, not many big plays, um, little from the running game except for like a 30-yard run by Tim Jordan there. Garantano in that game is 19-25, but only for 172 yards. Like I said, completing passes, but not really down the field. Um, so, you know, only one opponent this year where they've been tested, uh, a UTEP team that is terrible, and I think the other opponent was East Tennessee. So East Tennessee State's so not be able to take too much away uh, from those opponents, most like Florida with uh, the Charleston Southern game. So um, we were in their one game against West Virginia. We know West Virginia could throw the ball everywhere. Uh, and it was more about, you know, could that Tennessee defense uh, keep up? Well, well we know Frank, Frank's ain't going to be throwing for that that many yards. So this may be one of those, uh, you know, low scoring. I don't know if it would be one of those 10-9 games we saw a few years ago. God, I hope not. I'd like to see a few points if I'm going all the way to Tennessee. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think this is one of those where, you know, if, if you said, hey, we're going to put it on Frank's back, you'd be like, oh, that that's probably a bad thing. But. Tennessee's really bad against mm. <laughs> opposing quarterbacks. Really young and, secondary. Well, and they were bad last year, right? Um, and, and so you look at that and go, okay, have they really gotten that much better? I think Florida's going to have to test them. And the place I would test them is the same place I think Tennessee is, should test Florida is the linebackers. So if you remember against Kentucky, all the big plays Florida had were down the middle. That throw to Scarlet down the middle mm-hmm. and that went for like 30 or 35 yards. It set stuff up and, and, you know, you're not necessarily like when you say you want to go after explosive plays, that doesn't necessarily mean that you go on the outside when you get one-on-one coverage. I think sometimes you can isolate, um, you know, you can isolate your running backs or you can isolate your tight ends on the linebackers in the middle of the field. And I think that's an area where Florida may have an advantage, um, particularly at the running back. I've been very impressed with the way Scarlett's caught the ball out of the backfield, but impressed with the fact that Mullen has targeted those guys somewhat um, down the middle of the field. And even some of the wide receivers, sort of some of the square in routes and the different things that have gotten guys like Hammond and Swain open over the middle. I think those are probably going to be the the routes that become really important in the game, not necessarily the big bombs down the sideline. I think sort of the 12-yard pass that if you can hit the guy in stride, it might go for 30. Mm-hmm. And and th- those are the things that you can you can isolate. Because, you know, if they're going to put – if they're going to double cover the guys on the outside, then that leaves linebackers isolated in the middle. If they're going to double cover guys in the middle, then that's going to leave guys isolated on the outside. And if they decide to play a whole lot of zone, well, then you got to be able to run them out of it. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, we'll see against Kentucky. Kentucky played quite a bit of zone in that game, and Florida didn't really try to run them out of it, which was why I was kind of confused. Um, I, I think in this case, on the road, if Kentucky play, or I'm sorry, if Tennessee plays a lot of zone, Florida's going to try to run them out of it. Even with Franks, I mean, Franks might be able to run them out of it as well. And then if they decide they're going to have to, if they decide they're going to have to double cover somewhere, the, I think the linebackers will be isolated. I think that's a place Florida can really attack. Yeah, I think uh, Chris Doring brought that up too in his kind of review from Florida uh, this past week, and that's where playing against the zone kind of does scare me a little bit because you know he says Frank's doesn't do doesn't do a good job of anticipating when a wide receiver might come open. And that's what you kind of have to do in, in zone defense is being able to you know to a receiver to find the zone. Uh, you got to throw it to throw, throw it to that zone. Frank's got to anticipate that better, and that's uh you know one thing a guy who's played the game has seen from from Frank's there. So I'll be interested to see how he does it if Tennessee does come out and play a whole lot of how Frank's reacts to that because he didn't do too well against Kentucky there. Yeah, it, it's an interesting point, but again, when someone's playing a two deep zone, run the ball. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, I mean, I mean okay. we, 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 we've said it for three weeks. Run the ball more. So like, I mean, you, you can you can there are holes in zones that you can throw against. 
Mm-hmm. But if you win the battle up front and you run the, you, you can run a team out of it, right? Because if you run the ball effectively, then they have to walk up a safety. And when they walk up the safety, then they either have to decide, is the safety going to play deep down center field or is he going to shade to one wide receiver, one side or another to help on a wide receiver? So you get one-on-one coverage the minute you force them to bring that safety up. And so I think that's what Florida has to do. They have to run the ball. You know, you sort of, I think on Twitter, or maybe it was just in our messaging, but you mentioned when they finally doubled up on the run where they ran it twice in a row and all of a sudden ripped off a pretty good one. And, uh, you know, that's something that they're going to have to do. You can't just get the second and seven in the first quarter and say, well, now it's time to throw it two times. Yeah, right. I think I think they're going to have to be willing to, to run it on second and seven and end up with a third and six and throw it out of that. And I think they're going to be, you know, but every once in a while you're going to get third and one, and those are important too. So um, I, if Tennessee is able to play zone and Florida has to throw against it, it's going to be a really long night. If Florida can run them out of the zone or if Tennessee decides to be really, really aggressive, I think, I agree with Doring in that Frank's strength last year was throwing against the blitz. Um, you know, it didn't always get picked up. And when it didn't get picked up, obviously that becomes a problem, but yeah, it's the zone coverages where he's had trouble where on one-on-one coverage, if you let it go late, you're okay. Cause mm-hmm. the, the quarterback, you know, as long as the wide receiver beat him and the, and the ball's in the right place, the guy will get the guy will make the catch. It's, it's when you've got the safety coming over that you got to be concerned about being right on time. Yeah. I will. Um, so I know your your Tennessee preview will be coming out this week on Read Reaction later this week, right? Yes, it will be. Uh, all right. So everybody go to Read Reaction. You'll be able to catch Will's uh, Florida Tennessee preview. But Will, before we uh, go on this episode, I'll, I'll, well, I'm going to let you get, get your props here. Those uh, LSU Burrows. <laughs> well, he looked pretty awful for the first three yeah, quarters. I, I had a lot. I had a lot of people giving me crap for the first three <laughs> quarters, and I mean, I'll be honest. The reason I picked LSU to win the West was one to have something to root for that wasn't rooting for Alabama, and <laughs> and then the other reason was is that I did think their defense was going to be really good, and yeah. and their defense has proven to be just as good as I thought it would be. And Burrow has been just enough to allow them to to sneak by Auburn, but he's been he's been clutch. I'll give him that. He's been well, playing. you know, he made a really good adjustment on the on the big run that got him up against Miami, um, where he went up and audible and got it going the right direction. Obviously, the the seventy one yard throw that he completed in that fourth mm-hmm. quarter was a pretty big deal. Helped out a lot by the pass interference penalties on the uh, on the oh, last yeah. drive. I'm not sure how much Florida fans actually watched the game because it was right. uh, same time. It, it, it was competing, but uh, but I DVR'd it and went back and watched. And no, he has not been anything special. In fact, if you look at yards above replacement, if you look at QB rating, um, total yards, all that sort of stuff, he's actually right kind of in line with Felipe Franks. The the difference is is that he's played Miami and Auburn, yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> and so I think if Florida had played Miami and Auburn, we would probably be one and two. Um, you know, whereas LSU's been able to pull it out. So I've, I've been impressed with some things. I've been a little bit uh, underwhelmed by some other things that he's done. And and we'll see. I, I'm going to be really interested to see where he is you know, towards the end of the year because they have a murderer's row coming up. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, got, they got Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi State. I don't think it's in that order, but basically one after another for four straight weeks. And, and you know, if they make it through that gauntlet, they will have earned their spot in the SEC championship. That's for sure. Absolutely. Will so this be the first time I t- or last time I talked to you on the podcast, but uh, you go you go you go you go to Rocky Top and bring us back a victory. Oh man, I, I will be I will be uh, tweeting out insulting things about Vols fans. I'm sure while I'm there, probably be posting pictures throughout the day, and then uh, then go radio silence for the game because I'm going to come back hoarse. 
And uh, I don't know, maybe you'll call me while I'm in the car on the way home with my brother. We can we, we can do our Monday podcast via the phone. There while, we go. You know, it, it'll either be a bunch of cursing or it'll be a bunch of cursing. Either way, I'll see you in orange and white uh, overalls. Oh, God. No one. Well, first <laughs> off, no one should wear those because they're ugly and they're just awful. And and second, like I should not wear them. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but that has less to do with the color of my allegiances and just my general physique. But uh, yeah, no I mean, one. It, is, it doesn't stop them. <laughs> well, and, and so that's why I might end up in a Tennessee jail. So. <laughs> So hey, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's always fun going on the road. I remember going to I actually went to a Kentucky game a few years ago in Lexington, and uh, they were surprisingly spry until we beat them by 45. So uh, I will know. bail you out if you steal a boat. On if Tennessee, I steal a boat on the Tennessee River, right there, <laughs> in in the Tennessee Armada or whatever the heck they call it, the Vol Navy. There it is. Go, well, go steal a boat. We'll we'll take up a Gators Breakdown collection <laughs> to get me out of jail, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I, I, another GoFundMe account. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I I'll uh I, I don't know how to respond to that because that's that's really freaking funny. <laughs> the, uh, that, GoFundMe accounts are popular in the state of Florida these days. Oh man, I I, I gotta say we we really uh, Bill was really hyping up Taggart, <laughs> and if if we'd had an orange backpack. Oh, I, I like people think I'm negative about Mullen. Can you imagine what I'd be saying about the orange backpack with Taggart's offense putting up like ten points in two games? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. That. Uh, man. Here's the thing: they brought out the backpack Saturday, and it was uh, pre. It was uh, premature. <laughs> well, there, I gotta say, there was nothing better than Tallahat than Florida State's Twitter posting the uh, the what is it, Chief Osceola throwing right. down his spear in the score. <laughs> and the score kept, nothing at halftime or so, or at that point, it was like twenty to three after the third quarter. There he is putting the spear down in the middle of the field. It's like, wow, like I it. It's one of the few times where I wish Florida had a noon game just because then I would have already known the outcome and I could have immediately begun trolling <laughs> as, as opposed to sort of having to hedge my bets. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I, I'm glad Florida didn't have a noon game because I got to watch that train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, w- I guess I wouldn't have wanted them to go concurrently. That is true. But, <laughs> man, it is it is a mess up there. And they yeah, got- on a more, yeah, on a more serious note, it is. I mean, that off- I've thought Florida has had some bad offensive lines lately. That might be the worst power five offensive line I have ever seen. I mean, I got to be honest. I actually was thinking after the opening game that that was just a good sign for Virginia Tech, that the Hokies were going to be good this year. And, hey, you know, you, you they came into Tallahassee and took care of business, and, you know, that's a pretty big deal. And then you see the game against Samford, and you're like, well, maybe they just didn't take them seriously. But, man, they, I, I, I have – I have never seen a team with the talent level of Florida state come out and look like that. And, you know, maybe Florida against some of the, some of the lower tier teams when McIlwain was around, maybe, but even then, I mean, there was some level of competence. It was just, I mean, it, it looked like they were playing Clemson. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't matter. Uh, yeah. Who, who's lined up on defensive line right now. Uh, we'll see what Northern Illinois, I think this week. So we'll see. Uh, what they do there, but that, that is one GoFundMe account Gator fans should not uh, contribute to. Keep tagging, <laughs> keep tagging there forever. Oh man, should they ever? I I gotta say, it, it's it, it was just so much fun. It was so much fun, and and for everybody who's been giving me crap about recruiting, and maybe rightly so, all those Florida State commits come on our way. 
Yeah, <laughs> like, that's right. <laughs> like, like things are looking up here in Gainesville. Let's uh, let's bring in some of those guys. Absolutely. All right, Will, anything else? No, man, just thanks to everybody for the interaction on Twitter. Really appreciate it and appreciate everybody reading my stuff and, and retweeting it and more to come. Absolutely. So, Will heading up to Rocky Top uh, to watch the Gators in person. Uh, hopefully, uh, brings us back uh, a victory over the Tennessee Volunteers. You can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his work at readingreaction.com. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.